Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to our first week that maybe feels a little bit like fall. <laughs> and uh, that means, uh, no, it still has a summery feel. And Claire is on vacation, so summer's still <laughs> roaring here in Wisconsin. But we have a great guest panelist. Rebecca Lynch is back for a second week with us, and we got her for the whole show this week. Rebecca, it's wonderful to have you. I'm back. It's good to be here. It's great and very excited uh, to talk about the list of topics we have with you. Uh, and as always, our other panelist, Robert Craig, is with us. Robert was away. He was in Colorado, uh, both a little time away, maybe hiked up one of those mountains. But I think he was also at a, a healthcare conference. But Robert, it's great to have you back. Good to see you. Good to be back. And yes, hiked up several mountains and their mountains are just a little bigger than uh, Wisconsin's kettles and uh, coolies. <laughs> just a tad bit bigger. That is, that is true. Nothing. Okay. So first of all, it's good to have all of you here today. We have a great show for you. Um, we are going to talk about what is happening in this country around workers in this economy. We've talked a lot about um, this throughout the pandemic. And in particular, we want to talk about organized workers and the amount of strikes that are actually about to happen, are happening, or uh, votes that have happened around the country. It's a very important topic. We're going to dive into that later. But before we do that, there are a couple of ongoing topics that we have to update on, and, and we're going to start the show with that. And that is both what's happening around COVID in the state. And we'll also do a quick update on Build Back Better. Um, Robert, I'm gonna go to you right away on the COVID situation because um, there's been a lot of reporting nationally about the numbers dropping uh, around the country. And there may be some indication of infection rates starting to drop here in Wisconsin, but whole, it is, you cannot tell from both hospitalization rates and deaths um, we record Thursday morning. In the last two days, we've had 65 deaths in this uh, state, which is basically back to January numbers. Robert? Yeah. So this is a very serious virus. And as it continues to run wild through our population and the global population for lack of access to a vaccine, not our problem in the United States, it will mutate and get worse. And, and threaten fully vaccinated people more, though fully vaccinated people can spread it. And certainly they are at risk, just not as serious a risk. So we have a pandemic of um, the unvaccinated and a lot of the unvaccinated are for political reasons unvaccinated, which is shocking. We've had, we have a major political party that's become a party of death and destruction. And then, in addition to that, with people with health conditions, this is a plague for people with health, underlying health conditions, including if they're fully vaccinated, though some of them were able to get boosters, but they're still at risk. And then you have our structural inequality of our healthcare system and our society, where a lot of folks who are at the bottom of our race, class, caste system are also being left out, and they're not part of, say, the Trump political movement. And we've got to get serious. In the United States, we're incredibly privileged. We have access to a vaccine that is free to us, not free to the government, but because we choose to use large pharmaceutical companies for everything in this country, but free to us. 
and people turning it down as the rest of the world, most of the world, and especially black and brown people in the global south, beg and die for the vaccine, and we allow pharma to deny it to them. So this is now becoming a human-made problem. It, it, it's sort of the more immediate version of the, of the climate threat. And our ability to respond to it is a test of democracy, and we are failing right now. But we also have to have, since we're liberals or progressives, we, we don't want to vilify all the average people we see in grocery stores without masks, et cetera. And I'm appalled when I see, what are you doing? We're in a pandemic, right? But they are getting people follow their clan, right? Their leadership. And it's really the corruption, the absolute corruption and power-hungry pre-fascist nature of the conservative movement that is leading them to their deaths that a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. And this is appalling, and we've got to use our democracy to fix it. And our democratic leaders, Big D, need to do more and be bolder. I can say a few things about that later, but I've just said a bit. So, Matt, back to you. Yeah, and appreciate that, Robert. And, you know, just wanted to have the perspective, folks, get vaccinated. And please, if, if you have the ability to have a conversation with someone in your family or your network, those are the most powerful, you know, relationships to try to convince someone, especially given uh, what is going on right now. So uh, continue to try to have those those conversations because we need them. Our vaccination rates are not where we need them to be. So um, we're, look, we're going to continue to talk about COVID, but in the name of getting to a number of other topics that we have uh, today, and I uh, want to get Rebecca going on this next topic, and that is what's been going on in Congress with Build Back Better, or maybe, Rebecca, it's what's not kind of going on right now, where there's not a ton of information. This was, you know, there was a lot of heat on this going up to the let's just call it a self-imposed deadline that was was moved back to essentially the end of this month. Um, but there isn't a ton of information out there other than there is scuttlebutt, right, uh, and particularly out of Pelosi, that Democrats are starting to have conversations about are there, are there pieces we're going to jettison as opposed to we're just going to cut everything by a certain number if there were to be compromise with what is, let's just say, Manchinima. Uh, Rebecca, your latest sort of thoughts on what's happening with Build Back since we talked to you last week. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious there's a lot happening behind the scenes. I know that the White House is working really hard to get something done here. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting to me and longtime listeners will kind of know, know my bend a bit, but What's interesting to me is that I think some folks are drawing the wrong lessons from this debate. You know, what we have right now are corporate hostage takers who are blocking wildly popular policies. And uh, some, some people are looking at the situation instead saying, oh, we need to walk away from these wildly popular policies. I don't think that's it. And I actually think not only is that the right way to look at it? But we should lean into that when we're talking to our friends, to our neighbors. You know, with our risk class narrative work, we often talk about, you know, talk about the brownie, not the recipe. We're constantly talking about the recipe. We're saying the words childcare tax credit over and over again. That's the policy, that's the recipe. But what's the brownie? The brownie is that when you go to work, you feel great because you know your kid is safe, 
and loved and cared for at care that you can afford. And most people don't have that. And it's a wildly popular policy to enact something like that. So I think if we can just, you know, in our communities, in our conversations on social media, really talk about what this bill means, we will, um, you know, just create even more momentum and people power that I think will hopefully influence positively some of these negotiations happening behind the scenes. Rebecca, that's an excellent point, right? And it's a good reminder that most folks do not even know what's in this, even from a policy perspective, much less what you're talking about, the brownie, and how does this really impact me? And it is, so it underscores exactly what you're saying. Robert, your your additional thoughts on Build Back Better or any, any thoughts you might have about the state of play? Well, this is also a test of democracy itself. And if we can't do this now, it calls into question the enterprise that the conservative movement is also trying to undermine by their voter suppression wave that we'll talk about in a, in a later segment. And so we just have to get clear on what's going on here. We have a really a, a, a huge lobby, corporate, wealthy person establishment that has taken over Congress and has dominated for 40 years and they fund the campaign and they are the revolving door that the future employment for staff and for members of Congress. And that what's going on, whatever the Supreme Court says, is a deep form of corruption. This is not, as the media insists on saying, and it is a corporate media, you begin to wonder sometimes, right, a for-profit media, it is not the moderates versus the progressives. Almost all the moderates are for doing this, okay, and are for the, for the full $3.5 trillion but it is a few holdouts who are basically in a 50-50 Senate and a very close margin in the House, they can make the marginal difference. And they are being held up by the pharmaceutical industry. That is cinema's major thing, which is different than mansions. I know we said man cinema, which is funny, but uh, mansions is climate change, which is an existential threat to humanity. We can't give on climate change. By the way, the financing doesn't work without negotiating with pharma, plus that's a huge issue. But we have this problem where the president is playing a strange game where he's being more of a sadder and legislative negotiator and keeping his powder dry, not fully using the power of the office to communicate. And because of the filibuster, one of the undemocratic structural things in our, in, in our country to, to present to, designed to prevent majority rule straight out, it all had to be jammed into one budget reconciliation bill. Each of these actually would be much better if previous rhetorical presidents did one initiative at a time. Spend the two months on child tax credit, get the public all revved up, get it passed, then do the climate, then do paid family leave and child care and pre-K, and so on and so forth. And we haven't been able to do that. I think the White House needs to lean in on explaining what's in it. Rebecca's right. But I also think, quite frankly, we don't know, it's negotiation, how far we can go. A compromise may need to be made, but we don't know how far we can push it or where blowing up the whole thing is possible, which is worse than getting nothing. But they're going to try to bluff us into thinking that we have to give away everything or gut it in order to get a deal. And that probably it's not the case. Well, I think Rebecca said it best. It's hard when you're dealing with a hostage taker. They got Build Back Better hostage right now, those corporate hostage takers in the party. With that, though, we got to take a break. We'll continue to be uh, tracking Build Back Better. 
But when we come back, we're going to talk about labor striking back. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to dive into a really great conversation. We've talked extensively throughout the pandemic what's been going on with workers in this country. We've talked a lot about how many of the workers in this country who do some of the most challenging work, some of the more low paid work were deemed essential, were put out on the front lines, uh, bore a lot of the early death uh, and sickness uh, burden, and they brought that to their families. uh, And most recently, all the way up to a lot of the, um, the resources and the federal money that was put in to help support workers who had lost their jobs. And we were hearing from business, oh, we got to get rid of that. That's keeping workers from working. The shortages, the worker shortages will be better when that's gone. Well, that money's been long gone now. And we continue to have ongoing real issues with workers in key industries. And workers clearly shown that they're rethinking their role in this economy And a big part of that is in where we're seeing some of the most muscle, right, rightly so, is in organized workers and organized labor. And if you've been just sort of waking up and paying attention, and I was just sort of struck by it this week, and Rebecca, thank you for suggesting the topic, that like there's a ton of labor actions going on, big, small, uh, huge, different kinds of parts of the economy. Rebecca, I'm going to kick it to you <laughs> to just give us a flavor of a number of the, the the actions that are going on of workers basically pushing back and saying, uh-uh, not, no way we bore the burden of all this. You're profitable. We're doing well. Uh-uh. Tell us, Rebecca, just give us a flavor of what's going on and also really why this is so important. Yeah, definitely. As the daughter of a union organizer, uh, which longtime listeners will also know that I am, I had to suggest the topic. It's extraordinary. And I'll give like a quick run through. Um, But there are right now, you know, Matt mentioned actions big and small. I'm just going to talk about the big ones. Five big ones of essential workers across the country, tens of thousands of workers. And, you know, before I give that run through, I'll just say, you know, it's deeply moving. It's incredibly um, impactful on us as a society, on our economy. And it's pretty clear that we are living through a really um, a really unique moment in history. To have all in the same week, what I'm about to describe, tens of thousands of workers going on strike following this massive global pandemic is something that I think we're gonna learn about um, in later decades. This is a huge moment uh, for us as Americans. So just give you a quick run through. As of today, 10,000 John Deere workers are on strike, UAW workers in 12 facilities in Illinois, Indiana, Texas, across the country. Uh, um, We've got how many? 1,400, I believe, Kellogg's workers who make our cereal. Uh, in factories in Omaha, Nebraska, Nebraska, Battle Creek, Michigan, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, also striking, incredibly moving interviews and video content coming out of that strike. Highly recommend. That's the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers union. Um, we've got healthcare workers 
so in Buffalo, New York, 2,000 healthcare workers are on strike. Uh, you know, wages, hiring, retention, all issues that we'll get into, those are CWA locals. And then additionally, on the West Coast, in California and Oregon, 24,000 healthcare workers are on strike from two nurses unions, the California and Oregon nurses unions. Also, uh, the steel workers, hospital workers in those hospitals are joining them, 1,600 steel workers. Uh, also striking kind of extraordinary. And then we have 60,000 IATSE workers. Those are stagehands, folks in the film industry who are set to go on strike on Monday. And I think what's you know really interesting about these tens of thousands of workers across the country, that you know across the Midwest, on the West Coast, on the East Coast, in the South, that I just just ran through, it are the similarities. You know, the first similarity is what these workers are asking for. These are workers who work throughout the pandemic. They're looking for wages. They're looking for benefits. They're looking for rests and breaks. And you know, I mentioned the moving content out of the Kellogg's workers. I had no idea that the folks who make our Kellogg cereal work seven days a week. They get they don't get things like bereavement. It's just horrible stories that you, you have to hear for yourself. Um, but what they're also looking for, which I think is fascinating, is to fight for the next generation and to fight for their communities to make sure that these jobs are good jobs. And so, you know, I won't get too much into it now, but what some folks who are listening may know is that many workplaces, um, many corporate actors around the country have over the last several decades um, instituted separate tiers. Basically what it means is that the newer workers get, can I say screwed? I don't know what I could say. Yeah, because that's what it is. That's that's what's going on here. Absolutely, yeah. And I'll kind of stop ranting in a second, but like, it's really like, amazing and moving that these workers are fighting for these newer workers who are hot, many of them are hired after them or for future workers who haven't even been hired yet to ensure that these are good jobs that can be passed through um, over generations. And then the second big sim- similarity, I'll just quickly state, is that these industries where these essential workers worked made billions of dollars in profits. You know, the IATSE workers, they specifically cite the massive profits that streaming companies made throughout the pandemic. Folks were home watching TV. Uh, these healthcare workers, huge profits. So during the pandemic, the healthcare executives claimed that they were strapped and got concessions from these workers who, in addition to uh, wages and the other things I mentioned, are also just trying to make sure that we have safe staffing and more nurses in these facilities huge profits. Um, Kellogg's the same thing. So I could go on and on, but um, I won't just to say that like at this moment in history, um, corporate actors, as as listeners will know, as Citizen Action members will know, have been doing better and better and better over time. CEO pay has been rising more and more and more over time. Workers have been getting um, really screwed (laughs) over and over for years. And the pandemic just made all of those things worse. And so now what we're seeing all at once is workers really come together, feel their power, stand up for themselves, but also for each other and for the next generation. One of the things that is powerful when you look at all these stories you mentioned is basically the lying from the corporate side, the executives to their workers about how they're doing. And that's one also consistency. What went on in Buffalo, and Robert, I'll get to you before the break, is just it 
it's a story I've heard before too, and is that they told these workers that they were cash strapped because of the pandemic. And then they found out and they agreed to very modest, like virtually no increase that they would put off their contract negotiations till later, found out they were building a new hospital, you know, and for people who don't understand the way hospitals operate, that means they were taking all the money to build a new hospital while their workers were, you know, dying, I'm sure, some of them to do this work. So, Robert, this is stuff we've seen before, but unbelievable given what's going on in terms of the money that's being profited off the top. Your thoughts also as someone who comes out of the labor movement and certainly have heard these healthcare stories before, Robert. Yeah, and it's important to point out that most hospitals are nonprofits, but they operate, they've taken on the operating features of corporate America and the same drive for profit, though they don't call it profit, they call it revenue and reserves. And they use that for things like building sprees, which then cost more money and raise medical rates costs higher. It's partly why we have the highest healthcare costs in the country. Uh, this, is, this all goes back to what's happened the last 40 years in a bipartisan way, more extreme on the Republican side. But to be honest, Presidents Carter, Clinton, and Obama are all culpable here. And that is corporate America has sought to do what economists call rent-seeking. They've used their leverage in government over the finance system, over global trade, to try to gain all the power and up their uh, profits. And Wall Street demands more and more. We've talked about it with pharmaceutical companies. If you can get 50% on that drug, why not 75%? Because stocks go up as you have projections of more and more profit, not flat profit. And so the whole kind of casino economy um, and the uh, structural inequality where most of the gains of the last 50 years have gone to the top 0.1%, that's all part of this. And they don't like to see things change. So Build Back Better is a threat to that. The new coalition between most moderate Democrats and progressive Democrats who are resurgent and more numerous than they've been in 50 years. And then on top of that, uh, with the pandemic and with the incredible you know, oppression of workers, they have been making working conditions worse and wages worse for a long time. We're seeing a return to the to strike, strikes were a common feature in American society from 1880 to about the 1980s. And it's only recently they didn't exist because corporations had so much power and labor had been so reduced. Uh, but the, the strike movement began before we had organizing rights. So this may be the beginning of a new era, but here's the thing to bear in mind. If we don't get labor law reform, if we don't get Build Back Better, this new coalition being progressive and moderate Democrats may fall apart. We may be back into another staged and neoliberal age that we've been in. So this is an opening and opportunity. How it's going to turn out depends on all of us and all these workers who are stepping up. We are going to talk more about this topic, but we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are fortunate to have guest panelist Rebecca Lynch with us, in addition to Robert Craig. And we're talking about labor, organized labor in particular, and the massive amount of labor actions that are going on or planned uh, to go on, and just uh, how important this is given 
all of what we've been talking about, uh, what's been going on in the economy with workers during the pandemic. Rebecca, I wanted to go back to you, give you an opportunity for some more of your thoughts, but to, to continue to follow up on this theme you were talking about that I think is really important because when labor gets sideways, it's usually when it starts to think of its self-interest very narrowly, either uh, it, it, in multiple ways. One can also be just only thinking about itself and not the broader community and the co coalition that it's in to, to hold power, but also in its workplace. And you mentioned the two-tiered work structures that, um, that some of these folks are trying to jam down. It's, it's definitely one of the things that's uh, going on over in Kaiser with healthcare. Um, that is so destructive. And I wanted to get you to talk, talk a little bit more about that and why this is so important for folks if you're not in the labor movement to support these efforts where they exist. So for example, also like SEIU workers trying to organize back at UW and get their get full rights back. Whenever these fights occur, why it's so important to get in, support your community that's trying to organize. Rebecca? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad we have more time to talk about this because I wanted to be sure to say that there are ways that we all can support all of these striking workers, um, first and foremost. So if you look up any of these strikes, the John Deere strike, the um, Kellogg strike, um, I'm sure any of these healthcare strikers, uh, I'm forgetting someone, but you could look all of these up, oh, the IATSE workers, and there are ways that you could support folks. And in particular, I know that the Kellogg's workers, there's, there's a fund where you can support people. And that is like really important when workers go out on a limb like this. Obviously folks have families, they have healthcare needs, whatever else. So just wanna urge people to look that up and, and you know, throw some dollars their way. But um, yeah, I think, you know, we have definitely an obligation to support workers where we are before strikes ever happen. And I think the SEIU example is a good one. I would also say education workers. You know, right now um, in Wisconsin, I mean, it's never, hasn't been a good time to be an education worker in Wisconsin for a long time. But I think what we're seeing play out across our state with some of these school board fights um, around safety in our districts, around funding and resources for our districts uh, is really also very much a worker's right. It's about the kids, it's about the students, but it's also workers' rights. So. I would encourage folks to educate themselves about what's happening in their communities around that um, and try to get involved and support the students and workers. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I see this, I don't wanna speak out of school. I, I need to do a lot more research on this, but I, I see this as very related to the fact that retail workers all of a sudden can't find workers and that there's this quote unquote worker shortage. I mean, obviously, you know, a tremendous tragedy. We've lost many lives in this country, including in the retail sector. And so that cannot be separated from the workers can't, if, if employers can't find workers in those industries, maybe it's because your workers, you know, had serious health issues or passed away um, because of this dangerous work. Um, but also I think people are fed up. They're fed up with being exploited um, for low wages, for no breaks, working for abusive managers, um, not being able to have their own scheduling when they have to take care of loved ones. It's, you know, I think we're reaching a point where it's gotten so bad that people are just no longer, you know, people are just putting their foot down. Um, so yeah, I, we have an obligation to support. Absolutely. Uh, 
and want to encourage folks to definitely support those workers. And I love what you're talking about as it relates to what's going on here in the state, where there has been an absolutely orchestrated effort by the right to go after school boards. And we expect that to happen in the spring again. And so we're going to be very involved in spring elections around the state in a number of areas, but just wanted, it's a, it's a good, healthy reminder uh, that that is coming around. And that is an excellent way you can support some workers. Robert wanted to give you some further thoughts on this topic. Well, with the worker shortage, right? Um, and we have corporate uh, spokespeople and CEOs whining all the time. That's why they literally most states, a bunch of states got rid of pandemic unemployment insurance, the increased payment on that grounds. No evidence, of course, that reduced it. Uh, you have record retirements right now because corporate America and their followers have, and we're going to have the biggest Social Security surge in decades because work has become intolerable. Then you have it. You have a number of uh, families where a, so one of the parents has to stay home, usually a woman, uh, because, of, uh, because we don't have paid childcare, because we don't have pre-K and, and, and early education. Those are all in Build Back Better. Uh, because we don't have a caregiving system for the elderly, right, or for the disabled. And those workers are terribly exploited, home care workers and other workers in that field. And Build Back Better tries to deal with that. So you need to see all of this as symptoms of what Build Back Better is trying to deal with. In fact, Build Back Better includes, though it has to be with the filibuster to pass the good parts of it, labor law reform called the PRO Act to give more workers the right to have unions, because you can see the, the workers with unions are fighting back. A lot of the workers without unions don't have that tool because their democratic tool has been taken away. And so this really is a turning point. And these workers who are striking, they're risking their families, their livelihoods, uh, et cetera. And so we need to all think ourselves, look deep inside. Are we doing everything we can do at this moment the way they are? Are we stepping up? on Build Back Better, on the threat to democracy, Rebecca pointed out on supporting those workers, things we can do in this moment, because this is an existential moment for democracy, and it's an existential moment for things such as climate change, which does dwarf everything else, because this is all going to seem like very little concerns compared to the world that is created if we don't reduce emissions at least in half in the, by 2030. And we're not, we've made no progress, none whatsoever. So, folks, I think people need to be really committed, get involved in membership organizations like Citizen Action and others. But frankly, this is, this is a time where we have to prove democracy works, and that means activism. That means people taking a stand and taking risks. Otherwise, it'll be much worse. Well, folks, we're going to continue to track what's going on with workers broad, you know, broadly, but also very specifically also around uh, organized labor, because it is centrally important to the health of any sound democracy. But with that, we're going to sort of shift gears a little bit and go back to our state focus. Um, last week, we talked a bit, I made the grievous error of calling what uh, Michael Gableman is doing an investigation. Uh, Rebecca, I think you had something like a sham, shamocracy, sham shammery, or something that involved sham a lot. And I've seen it's a review. Um, whatever it is, 
I'm calling it a clown show, a circus, and the circus is definitely in town. Um, and Gableman is certainly the ringleader, although Voss is, um, might be right there uh, conducting the whole circus. But this past week, we thought last week was really weird. And, you know, it got weirder. It got weirder. Um, I'll just say one of the highlights. And then, Rebecca, I'm going to kick it to you. Uh, Gableman last week had the just bizarre idea of comparing the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel coverage, which the Journal Sentinel is not known for being overly aggressive, um, to Nazism, to uh, to Goebbels, I believe, and and to or to their propaganda machine. It's just unbelievable. That has led to um, some state reps, uh, also the Cap Times, calling for Gableman to step down and resign from this whole thing. And of course, this whole shammery should end anyways. Rebecca, tell us more <laughs> about what what is going on in our state? We're now the poster child. I think we're worse than Arizona now. I, you know, Georgia passed weird stuff, so we're not that, but Arizona, you know, what's going on? Yeah, and I, I'll have more to say about what's going on after the break, because I have a lot to say about this, but I, I do want to say on the um, comparisons to the Holocaust, this is actually the second instance in Wisconsin in the past week, not something to be proud of. Um, the other, I think, is some dude running for school board or trying to recall people for school board in Mequon, I don't really know, but a similar thing. And I, I just wanted to uplift um, a, a little bit of the statement from the Milwaukee Jewish Federation, because I think they just put everything so well. Um, you know, they note that it harms the Jewish community and uh, dishonors the memory of people that we lost during the Holocaust. Uh, you know, stirs up painful experiences of survivors and their descendants, but also, and, and they put this, I, I'll just read it verbatim because I, I thought it was quite good. Quote, the Holocaust should be remembered with sensitivity and studied with precision in order to accurately understand the lessons of this history. It should not be exploited for opportunistic purposes. So I cannot put it better than that. And I, I wanted to share, but I have more thoughts after the break about this election scam review. Well, folks, we do have to take a break. It's, there's got to be some commercials run somewhere on some radio station. So with that, folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll see you right after this break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, Rebecca. I'm going to go back to you. You were talking about, you know, what has been going on with Gableman, his comments in particular, and certainly uh, some of the response, but wanted to give you an opportunity to finish your thoughts. Yeah. You know, what I think about this, um, it hasn't changed in the past week. It just confirms more of what I think. Um, and, you know, where I usually like to start is our values, right? I think we all believe doesn't matter if you're from the north side of Milwaukee or if you're from up north Wisconsin, no matter what race you are, what you look like, what your age is, wherever we're from, you know, we think that voters should decide who our elected officials are, not the other way around. Like our elected should not be able to decide who their voters are. That's not democracy. That's not how it works. That should not be the case in Wisconsin or in the United States of America. And I think, you know, what we're seeing right now is last year, we all came out, right? We turned out in record numbers in spite of this pandemic, 
even in April, when it was still very new, we marched in record numbers, people who are black, white, and brown across every race, we came up and we showed out to demand leaders who were going to stand up for, you know, freedom and justice for all. And, you know, what we got instead um, this year are like a handful of elected officials. I don't want to make it sound overwhelming. It re- there are a few you know, critical, really bad actors here that are worth pointing out. One of them, of course, is Robin Voss and now, you know, Gableman as well, who are out here, they're attacking our freedoms, including our freedom to vote. They're pushing these anti-voter scams in our state. They're spreading lies about our election that trusted officials conducted and verified. And they're now even making these false equivalencies to the Holocaust. And so, you know, what's important to know about this is why. Right, and the reason why there, there's two prime motivations, and this is usually the case. This isn't too new. They want to keep us divided, based on our race, based on where we live, um, and they want to distract us. And what's more distracting than a false equivalence of the Holocaust? But what do they want to distract us from? Well, they want to distract us from the fact that they have been, you know, Voss in particular is almost single-handedly blocking the things that people in Wisconsin have been demanding throughout this pandemic. People want better wages like we were just talking about. Folks want nurses and counselors in their schools. They want resources for their communities, resources for their neighborhood schools so they know their kids are safe and cared for. And the things that we need to thrive in this pandemic and after this pandemic. But we've got Voss and a handful of elected officials who are blocking it. And they know that if we realize that, if the majority of Wisconsinites realize that, we're gonna be furious and we're gonna mobilize. And so they're doing everything they can to desperately distract us from the fact that they are not doing their jobs. Um, And unfortunately for them, you know, most people see through it. And I think, you know, we see through politicians who spread lies, who won't govern in our interests, who pass laws to silence us. And I think, you know, what we're going to see, and I think what we're already starting to see is folks come together, you know, across communities, across the state, you know, we called our legislators and we're active during the last budget cycle. People are getting activated now around some of the school board stuff and, and trying to keep our kids safe, certainly around fair districting. And I think we're gonna see folks come out and volunteer and vote again in record numbers next year, but that's the whole game. So, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about it is like, it's important to call out the BS um, in a way that hopefully we don't spread their lies, but it's important to, to call out the BS Um, but always to remember that they're doing this so that we talk about it. Like they want us to be talking about whether or not the election was legitimate, because if we're talking about that, then we're not talking about the fact that they are single-handedly blocking the things our schools, communities, hospitals. So, well, we will, we continue to stay focused on those efforts that they're blocking. I would, and I like the way you put all that. I would add one sort of other layer and we've been talking about it. It's those corporate interests that are behind Voss and all these actors, Gableman, Big Daddy Gableman, uh, and they're behind stopping Build Back Better, right? Cinema doesn't care. She cared about prescription drug prices. It's the most popular thing in Build Back Better. It's all about those corporate actors. Robert, your thoughts on the latest with the Gableman? Well, it's been aptly called a circus by some journalists, but Rebecca makes a good point. It's a circus that distracts us. And it is fascinating that the way the conservative movement has evolved 
And it's had these elements since the Goldwater era and certainly the Reaction New Deal, but it's gotten a majority and it's evolved. Look, it was about an issue with the Tea Party. It was a completely sleazy misrepresentation of the Affordable Care Act. It's about an issue. But the modern Republican Party doesn't want to talk about issues. They're not engaged on what's wrong with Build Back Better because they clearly, ideologically, I assume, they think something's wrong with it. They're focused on this kind of thing. They're focused on fake things like critical race theory, which is not taught in our primary and secondary education. It is an excellent academic theory that's a good tool for analysis of law and other academic professions. It's not taught in our schools. Um, so, but it's also a, a part of the threat to democracy. It isn't, it isn't content free. Uh, there was an attempt, it's become clear by Donald Trump to steal the last election. And of course, part of their rhetorical theory of the case is to blame, attack us for what they do, right? Because they assume that there's a moral equivalency between us and them. And by them, I don't mean all their voters. I mean the elites, the leaders here, right? So the Gableman stuff, just the more you talk about it, the more you say there's a scandal, the more you say you're about transparency, the more you have the pre-fascist videos, like the latest Gableman production, uh, which again, tries to be objective and make him sound like a jurist and being blocked and finding out the true facts when there's no predicate. In law, you can't have an investigation unless there's probable cause in criminal law or in civil law, some reason to believe someone's rights were violated. There is no such predicate, but they've convinced most Republican voters there is by saying it over and over again. And because people tend to follow their group and these people lead this group. And notice I called it pre-fascist. I'm using Yale philosopher Timothy Snyder's word, words. It's important, like the Milwaukee Jewish Federation says, to be precise. It's not death camps yet, okay? But it's all, it's all the things that lead in that direction. And that's why pre-fascist is a, is, a, is a good term for it. And you see it. You compare, you know, a Gableman video to the things that led to fascism in the 1920s, for example, after World War I. And so we have this situation, though, where our response kind of plays into there because we're, us responding makes their voters think they're right because we're the enemy, right? And, that, and they, they're trying to polarize and divide. Uh, in addition, and here's the problem, right? Because we can't assume people will naturally turn out. People don't see a stake in their lives in democracy because democracy has been so compromised and so unrepresentative to people's needs for so many decades. Um, that Build Back Better is part of this because Biden's approval ratings have plummeted because we're not getting things done. And it's the same corporate folks, by the way, they were boycotting for a while, symbolically, big corporate donors, uh, the, the sedition Republicans who, who voted to, to, to not certify the election, they stopped doing that. And, there's, and, and so, because, so they are funding all of this. And they are also behind mansion and cinema, not the powers, they're the mouthpieces, okay? So this all fits together. We don't really have to spend time talking about how crazy the Gableman investigation is. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is a guy who lied to be elected the first time about the first sitting African-American uh, uh, state Supreme Court justice, Lewis, um, Lewis Butler, and was found to have done so by the staff of the Judicial Commission and should have been thrown off the Supreme Court. But there was a partisan block that prevented that from happening. So it's an action filed to complain at the time when he was first elected in his only election to the state Supreme Court. But we know that about him. 
The question is what we're going to do about it. Redistricting is another attempt to steal. And that is, we're not noticing that as much because of the Gableman kind of clown show, right? And uh, it, it just means we have to get things done because we have to prove democracy works and we have to do everything we can to protect its fundamental mechanisms, right? But we're not going to have young people of color turn out in numbers unless they see a stake in democracy, which means things that actually benefit them getting enacted. And we need, we need to make that happen. And we all need to be all in. Look, we're going to talk more about like Congressional District 3, where Ron Kind is stepping down. Um, we're going to win or lose that race based on the success of this agenda. If it fails, I don't I don't care how good the candidate is, uh, the voters will not send dem- a Democrat back, right? So, yeah. It's the biggest impact on U.S. Senate race in Wisconsin, governor's race, state legislative races. It's how the incumbent Democratic president is doing. If they torpedo him and he's below 40% now, then they're going to win the Wisconsin elections, no matter what we do. So yeah. these all are connected. If we, we can pass Build Back better, if we let them uh, corrupt the mechanism of democracy and steal the 2024 election for Donald Trump, who's saying, if you don't do voter subversion, I'm, gonna, I'm telling Republican voters not to vote. So he's taking the whole Republican Party hostage and, of yesterday. It's all connected, Matt. And with that, Rebecca, we want to thank you for filling in for Claire and coming back, our former panelists. Thanks, Rebecca, for, for joining us, not only this week, but last week. It is fun to be here. Well, we'll we'll definitely have you back on again. But we got to wrap up this show. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge. And folks, we'll see you all here next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.